Lover's Prayer. Interesting lead guitar that comes in at times, open the song, and then pops in now and again. One of the reasons I like that song is that interesting guitar. Play some more of that interesting guitar for me. I also like the buried choir. It's not up front. Sometimes you have that sort of church choir sound, and it's up front in the mix, but on that one it was kind of buried. Buried behind Bill Osborne, a buried choir. Welcome to Every Night's a School Night, number 80. Here we are, it's another, you know, another 10. I always like getting to the zero. We're back to zero. Now, it is nice, it does feel like an accomplishment, especially how long running this show is. Uh, You know, it's nice to get to a new 10. Whatever you call it. I'm trying to think of what that's even called. A new decade? A new decade of episodes? It might be a new decade of episodes, but the decade is not changing because we're still in that 1950s, 1960s zone that we rarely leave here. We do leave it, but very rarely. And I'm going to continue on here with the music, and I'm going to play Terry Dawn and the Daybreakers which is a great name, Terry Dawn and the Daybreakers. Turns out that's synonymous with Dawn. Daybreak and Dawn. So it's a clever name for a group there, Terry Dawn and the Daybreakers. And the song is Rain, Rain, Rain. So we're getting elemental here. Water. Water falling out of the sky. You know, don't get jaded. Don't get so jaded that water falling out of the sky in droplets is ever too normal for you. You don't ever want that to be normal. Even though I live in the place where it's arguably more normal than anywhere else in the world, I live in the state of Washington, western Washington, which is one of the rainiest places, as far as I know, in the world. It has a reputation for raininess, and it lives up to it. It's been very rainy lately. 
oppressively rainy. It hasn't bugged me. You know, I'm not seasonally effective. Um, I would would say it affects me, but I, I wouldn't say I have seasonal affective disorder or seasonally affective depression. I can't remember if the D in SAD stands for depression or disorder. How about SADD? I just can't resist talking about DDs, but uh, double Ds. But seasonally affective depressive disorder, SADD. It's like mothers against drunk driving. But yeah, here we are with Terry Dawn and the Daybreakers with Rain, Rain, Rain. Elemental music right here. our modern scientific world pictures are really models that allow us to have a better grasp of the world and to inhabit the world more effectively through technical development and the mistake that we've made is to take them to be a mirror of nature i 
song there was Calvin Medert. And you know, I, I'm not sure how to, I guess I, I know how to say the name. There's only one real pronunciation for that last name, but it's just one of those last names that's awkward to say no matter what. Medert. Medert. Calvin Medert. M-E-T-T-E-R-T. Anything that ends in E-R-T. I mean, there's a there's too, too many T's for my liking. There's three T's in that name. Calvin Metert. Metert. Get over here, Calvin Metert. But that song was called Honey Bee, as you could tell uh, from that wonderful voice. I mean, almost an androgynous sounding voice there. Maybe he was very young. That's the interesting thing about the 1950s, and that song was from 1959, is you have some singers who were like 20 years old or 19 years old, and they sound like 40-year-old men. They just have these wonderful, full, adult male voices. And then you have guys who could be any age who sound like a teenage girl. But that one was good. Honey Bee was a natural song, so I felt like it complemented the Terry Dawn and the Daybreakers song before that, Rain, 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 with a song called Honey Bee. They're both natural things. Rain and honey bees, they're both natural. I thought they went together. It's like wines and cheeses. 
It's like a cheese wine. It goes real well with a wine cheese. You can pair nature up with nature. Nature just complements itself. You can pair anything up in nature, and it goes with uh, another thing from nature. And uh, I'm going to continue on here. And that that sample there I enjoyed talking about. I, I like pretty much any anti-metropolitan sentiment. More so with time. You know, as time goes on, I feel like I enjoy a nice anti-metropolitan sentiment more and more. Definitely not a new feeling for me. I've always kind of had it. And I'm not anti-modern. I want to make that clear. Just because I do enjoy a nice... uh, I I like it when metropolitan areas get a nice kick in the balls. Even though I like that, I'm not anti-modern. I'm just anti-metropolitan. I like the suburbs. I like a small city. But I I don't love a, a metro spread. I think that's... It's a sick thing. And I think we're seeing how sick it is recently. I think... 2020, for all its great qualities, you know, I'm not anti-2020. I might be anti-metropolitan, but I'm not anti-2020. I think this year has shown a a very harsh but necessary light on many things. On many shadowy creatures. The harsh light this year has definitely revealed many shadowy creatures out and about. So I'm not anti-2020, but I do feel that it has just shown the sickness of metropolitan areas, where it really does feel like the inmates are the guards and vice versa. Because that's something that I don't think anybody expected. Maybe, I mean, somebody did. No doubt somebody saw it coming. But the popular discourse on surveillance didn't really account for the fact that it would be the people spying on each other. And holding each other accountable. And having that person-to-person surveillance go completely unchecked. I think that was a surprise to me. You know, I, I like to think of myself as, a, you know, a humble prophet. I like to think of myself as a humble prophet who can see some things coming. Not everything, but I like to think that I can see some things coming But with all the conversations going on 10, 15 years ago about the government. Oh, no, man, the government's coming after me. It's it's my song. It's called The Government's Coming After Me. But with all the concern, all the deep paranoia about the government coming after you, the government watching you, the government using technology to spy on little old you, which I think is a real concern. And of course, it's gone on. It goes on. We've heard about it in recent years. But what wasn't accounted for is the fact that the people spy on each other just all the time. I mean, I knew that, you know, because many years ago, like when I was in college, I had read a I had read about Foucault's Panopticon, and I've mentioned it on this show before. Not that I'm a big fan of postmodernism and Foucault, but I'm not going to throw it all out. I'm not going to throw it all out. You know, Foucault is obviously a smart guy, which I just have to make an aside. I read something the other day from Foucault where he said the reason that he learned everything he did, I guess he's gay. I didn't know that. I guess he is. I'm assuming from this quote of his that I read that he's gay, because um, he said that the reason he 
learned so much about the way things work is when he was growing up, he there was a as he said a beautiful boy in his class. And so to impress this, and he's, like I said, this is his word, beautiful boy. I don't usually use that phrase. Uh, not that I'm afraid to. Not that I'm afraid to. I just I just don't have a use for it. But uh, he was saying to impress this quote-unquote beautiful boy, he ended up doing this guy's homework. And because of that, he learned everything that he came to know, which doesn't make complete sense to me. Because if you're doing somebody else in your class's homework you're just going to go over the same thing twice. So I don't understand how that's an explanation for how he gained his knowledge. Because you'd think that he would have just done the same thing twice. And so he would have learned the same amount of stuff. He just would have done it for two people. So that doesn't make complete sense. But what does make complete sense is that postmodernism boils down to Foucault pretending to be the naive, studious girlfriend of the high school quarterback. <laughs> you know, like his fantasy, it turns out, was pretending to be the naive, studious girlfriend who does her boyfriend's homework. He didn't say whether or not doing the boy's homework got him anywhere. So I don't know, but I just thought that was funny that postmodernism boils down to Michel Foucault's fantasy of being the naive, studious girlfriend of the popular boy. Uh, but anyway, Foucault's panopticon is an idea that uh, really impacted me many years ago when I was a teenager and I read about it. It's the idea of, of a, a prison structure in which you never know who is watching you and when they're watching, where there's a tower in the middle and the cells surround it in a circle they surround the tower, and you can never tell if there's somebody in the tower watching you. Like the way the light is generated makes it impossible to see, you know, whether someone is watching you or not. But you also don't know if other people in their cells are watching you. And as a result of not knowing whether you're being watched, you act like you're being watched all the time. So, in effect, it doesn't matter if you're being watched because. You're going to behave as if you're being watched no matter what. So that idea of the panopticon, you know, it's a pretty profound idea. And you can use it as an analog or a metaphor for all kinds of things. And I wrote about it when I was in school. Um, but I, I, at the time, it was before Facebook even and, and anything, you know, social media wasn't nearly at the level it's been in the last 10 years. But I used it as an example. I was talking about MySpace and things like that even back in college, and I used it as an example of how the internet was working, how the internet, the direction the internet was heading in. So I'm not surprised that social media ended up being somewhat of a panopticon, where you never really know who is paying attention to what you're saying, or when they're paying attention to it. And as a result, you kind of have to assume that everybody is, but yet, it's almost your greatest fear to think that nobody is, which is kind of a double bind. You're in kind of a double bind where on one hand, you want to be able to say whatever you want. But on the other hand, if you say whatever you want, anybody can see that. Anybody can theoretically see that. And so if you say whatever you want, somebody might take that the wrong way or it might hurt you in some way to say what's on your mind. And we've seen where that plays out. I mean, people's relationships have dissolved in just the worst 
the, the worst possible ways because of things that people have said or done on social media. Or, so it's not like we're talking about something small here. I mean, some years back, this guy that I went to junior high and high school with, his girlfriend logged into his account and shared with everybody that she had discovered that he had sent, or or his cousin, a female cousin, had sent him videos of her doing acts upon herself. And so this guy's girlfriend outed him as, you know, having kind of an incestuous affair with his cousin. This really happened. It it was one of those things I was just like, oh, my God, this guy's whole family saw that. Everybody this guy's ever known. Because, I mean, that's the thing about social media or is especially something like Facebook. You know, the people who have been on there a long time, they're connected one way or another if the average person is connected to people from every stage of their life, they're connected to people from kindergarten, they're connected to their family, their blood family, they're connected to their ex-girlfriend's parents, they're connected to random co-workers from a job that they haven't worked at for many years. You know, they're connected to such a random assortment of people from their life, both important and unimportant, and yet what you say on there can impact how they feel about you can impact how the people in your life now feel about you and if if you're getting weird uh, sexual videos from your cousin and your girlfriend finds out she can log into your account and humiliate you i mean i still remember this i still remember seeing this this happen on this guy's account you know his family remembers it You know, every time that guy sits down for Christmas dinner, somebody in his family at that dinner table in the back of their mind remembers that. Especially if he and his cousin are ever invited to the same event. But anyway, uh, the point I was getting at, and I'll I'll try to, I know this isn't every night's a school night, not a night school, so I'll try to cut the rambling down here but just point being i don't think anybody necessarily expected the inmates to become prison guards to the degree that they are now because it's not just that with these technological innovations we can watch each other it's not it's not just that we have these platforms where we can watch and be watched and we never know entirely who is watching us at any given time and that that has a psychological effect, both both an effect of exhibitionism as well as self-censorship. You know, that goes on. But then on top of that, people have really gotten into the idea of surveilling each other and policing each other. And that's what I didn't entirely expect. That's what surprised me, is that that would come so hard and so fast that people actually police each other and try to censor each other and control each other and report each other and ruin each other's lives, get people fired. And not even just what goes on online, but also the way that people will take photos of each other, which I've done to people. I've taken photos of strangers. Um, but, uh, you know, I think about the Scarface guy I saw at the puppy parade. This is a real guy. My friend wanted me to go to the puppy parade a couple, two or three years ago. It was very early in the morning, and there were just puppies going on parade here in town. Dogs. It wasn't just puppies. It was dogs, but it was called the Puppy Parade. 
because it sounds better than dog parade. But uh, there was this old man there, and I still think he was me. I still think that he was an older version of me. Bald, kind of hunched over, one of those big Fred Mertz kind of guts. Like He wasn't fat, but he just kind of had an old man gut with his pants pulled up past it, like Fred Mertz style for My Love Lucy, where his belt is probably where his belly button is. So he just has this big mound, you know, that goes, you know, that kind of goes where the groin of his pants is. So he had that going on. And then he, but then he had a button up collared shirt that said Scarface on the breast with the Scarface logo, you know, the Al Pacino movie. And then on the back, it had like a screened, like a screen printed poster of, of the Scarface movie poster. Like it had the main image of Scarface on the back of the shirt. And so there was this old man in sunglasses all by himself at the puppy parade. And he was very old in a Scarface button-up shirt. And so I had my friend. I was like, can you just kind of pretend you're standing near him? And I took a photo of him. So that's not the only time. I've certainly taken photos of people in public. But the thing that we've seen in recent years is just where there's no hesitation to take a photo of somebody doing something stupid, humiliating, something we think is bad. And not just to take a photo of them, but then to share it online to millions of people. And not just on one platform. You know, and you see people do it with videos, where someone will upload a video of somebody doing something stupid to YouTube, and it becomes a sensation. And we don't think anything about that. We don't think about how that person did not give their consent. You know, we used to think about shows like Candid Camera where somebody would have to give their consent to have that footage shown on TV. And now with YouTube and social media and all these things, uh, you know, people's images are being shown doing extremely humiliating things or they're angry. Somebody caught them at a bad moment. Somebody's having a meltdown. And they've, sh- they've, they've shared it with more people than would have even watched ca- uh, Candid Camera. More people are seeing this person in their worst moment. And it's a way of shaming people. And so gover- government surveillance is old hat, baby. Because we are doing it to each other to such an extent that we really are both the inmates and the prison guards, and as well as the reporters, as well as all sorts of other things. And I think what it all boils down to is being ghoulish. I think that all that behavior to me is being a ghoul. Because when we think about government surveillance, we think, oh, that's very ghoulish of them. You know, the ghoulish government. But then guess what? You give people the opportunity to do it, and you, it goes unchecked where you think somebody would be prosecuted for sharing a video of somebody or taking a photo of somebody and humiliating them to millions of people, but it doesn't seem to happen much. People don't seem to get in that much trouble from what I know. But anyway, you know, I mean, a part of this all comes down to the fact that there's just this undercurrent of misanthropy. There is just this void uh, in in terms, you know, there's a lack of goodwill and there's so much bad faith and just lack of faith in other people. It's not even about being faithful toward God or faithful toward some larger entity or force. It's just a lack of faith in each other. And you have to notice when there is faith because there's plenty of people acting well, there's plenty of people doing well, doing good. But you just have to, you know, try to get past it. Because so much of this misanthropy comes from the fact that 
people are stupid. Oh, don't you just hate how stupid people are? You know, that attitude, which is fundamentally misanthropic to think that people are inherently stupid. Oh, I'm smart and people are stupid. Oh, people are so stupid. Every time someone disagrees with you. Oh, they disagree with me. That makes them stupid. That makes you stupid. So you don't think that about people. There are, you know, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to like back myself into a corner where I, I'm trying to say, oh, I don't believe anybody's stupid. Obviously, some people are dumb. And I like the word dumb more than stupid. Stupid is a stupid word. I like the word dumb. But yeah, some people are dumb, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I don't consider anybody dumb. I'm not going to pretend that. I don't want to back myself into a corner where I, where I can never call somebody dumb again. But when you believe people are stupid, when you believe people are dumb, especially when you think they're dumb because they're wrong, you've set yourself up in this situation where if you turn out to be wrong, then you become dumb. And there's a good chance you're wrong. So if people are dumb because they're wrong, you're setting yourself up to become dumb yourself when you inevitably become wrong at some point. So that's something to remember. And we're finally going to get to the song here, a good country tune by a guy named Bobby George. Bobby George. And it's a song about being wrong. It's a humble song. This is a song of great humility. And it has the word doggone in it, so it better be country. If you're going to use the word doggone in a song title, you better either be at the puppy parade or you better be a country singer. And Bobby George here is a country singer here with I've Been Wrong So Doggone Long. I remember when we married for a while we both were happy but I just couldn't stay away from my old life. The lights of town kept shining brightly, and I began to go there nightly. Cause I've been wrong so long, long I can't do right. But many times I've really tried, oh, but it's all that I can't fight. Cause I've been wrong so long, 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 I can't do right. I broke your trust, that's when it started. Daily quarrels until we parted. But now you say that you'll forgive me if I'll change. What's the use in even trying? You would only end up crying Cause I've been wrong so long, long, long I can't do right But many times I've really tried Oh, but it's so that I can't fight Cause I've been wrong so long, long, long I can't do right been wrong so doggone long i can't be right you know it's good to be humble 
It's good to be able to admit when you're wrong, but you don't want to get in that place where you're always wrong. You know, you don't want to be too self-deprecating to the point where you're just a, a sad sack about it, a sad sick about it. You don't want to get to that point. But it is good to exercise the muscle of wronghood, of being wrong. It is good to be able to admit that. You just don't want to admit it too readily. Because, some pe- you know, some people are just waiting for that. Some people are just waiting for you to give in. So don't neuter yourself. A lot of things feel neutered right now, too. I've had a hard time listening to podcasts. I've had a hard time paying attention to a lot of things because many things feel neutered. And now I'm going to talk to you for 20 minutes about all the things that are neutered, starting with me. This is going to be the first on-air neutering. (laughs) Except my voice is going to get lower. You know, when someone gets their, uh, you know, what hacked off, you think of their voice getting higher. Mine are going to get low. My my voice is going to get lower. It's going to be so low you can't even hear it. It's just going to be a, a low rumble. And if you ask, excuse me, mister, why do you talk so low? I'm going to say, because I got neutered. Ever since I got no- Ever since I got neutered, my voice sounds like this. But yeah, things do feel pretty neutered right now. And I don't even say that as a real criticism. Like, how do you quantify? How do you qualify that? How do you qualify how content, how people just seem kind of neutered? I think that people don't really want to go too far out there and say what they're thinking right now, for one. And I don't blame them because I feel that way, too. I don't want to say too much. And as a result, though, you, you kind of feel like people are hemming and hawing. And I know a hem and a haw when I see one, because I do a lot of hemming and hawing myself. But I don't feel bad. I don't, I, you know, even though I'm saying every, everything's neutered. Even though things are neutered, even though people and things, just things, things that I didn't even know had balls feel neutered. Even though I do feel that way right now, I feel really good. I feel like my warrior spirit is here. I feel like I'm thinking clearly. I feel like things are good, honestly. So it's not a problem. I just feel like I can't really pay attention to many of the things I would normally pay attention to. But that's good because you end up looking for other things or you, you feel content with the fact that you don't have to pay attention to the same things all the time. You kind of break up your routine. And that's an old saying, you know, that's people have been saying that for thousands of years. When everything seems kind of neutered, that means you have an opportunity to break up your routine. But uh, when the going gets neutered, the neutered get, uh, I don't know, I don't I don't even know. Uh, we're going to play a couple more songs in the country territory, a guy named Glenn Sutton. That's Glenn with two N's, which is how Glenn should be spelled. It always feels a little neutered when Glenn only has one N. Are you... Oh, your name's Glenn. Uh, is that a neutered Glenn or a, a double N? But Glenn Sutton, and the first song is Too Many Honky Tonks Behind Her, kind of like with the last song with Dog On. You know if Honky Tonk is mentioned, it better be country. It better be country or somebody's opposing. 
somebody's posing if they're using a honky-tonk reference and they're not true country. So I'm glad to, to report here that Glenn Sutton is going to play a real country song called Too Many Honky Tonks Behind Her. And you know what that means. He's he's not worried about the fact that she's had some drinks at honky tonks. She's got too many honky tonks behind her, and that means something else. It's kind of a, I don't want to call it a euphemism, but uh, he's he's worried about something else that goes along with hanging around in honky tonks and the sort of woman who hangs around in honky tonks, but. We're going to follow that up with another Glenn Sutton song called Ring on Your Finger. So too many honky-tonks behind her and Ring on Your Finger. A little rhyme there between the two titles. She's got too many honky-tonks behind her Too many memories that I knew someday would find her Many songs on that old jukebox to remind her She's got too many honky-tonks behind her She tried her best to be a faithful wife But too long she lived the wildest side of life I know she loves me and she's tried to do what's right She's just got to quench her thirst for those old neon lights She's got too many honky-tonks behind her Too many memories that I knew someday would find her Too many songs on that old jukebox to remind her She's got too many honky-tonks behind her I knew how she was when we first met had a 50-50 chance that she'd forget If her happiness depends on the life she used to know Then I'm satisfied to step aside and let her go She's got too many honky-tonks behind her Too many memories that I knew someday would find her Too many songs on that old jukebox to remind her She's got too many honky talks behind her. She's got too many honky talks behind her. The materialism of someone like Descartes is really a reflection of our attempt to get a better handle on the world. That, uh, as Bergson put it, there's a distinction between intellect and intuition. And our technical intellect has come to predominate over intuition to the extent that it has atrophied. Mm -hmm. And he foresaw a reemergence of uh, animal instinct in the form of intuition that would allow us to uh, redevelop some of the psychical abilities that he thought we share in common with animals all the way down the run of the evolutionary ladder. Mm -hmm.
song about a married woman there if you couldn't figure it out i was just about rings i thought that song was just about rings i thought she just had a cool ring with a skull on it oh you i thought she had a, a cool ring on her finger she got uh, had a skull on it i think it it was a ring with like a, a bird's face and it had a beak sticking out of it and that's why i have no right she's too cool for me she's too cool for me okay She's too cool for me. That's why I can't have her heart. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's a married woman with a ring on her finger. It's because her ring is it represents how cool she is. Because it has a skull on it. It has a skull. But uh, we're going to continue on here and we're going to play a, a, a much different sort of song. This one is just shooting full of electricity. It actually has a very prominently featured organ. Very active organ. And it sounds like it is. It sounds like it is. It does, though. It's by a guy named Sherwin Linton, which is an interesting name. You know that's a real name. Sherwin Linton. And the song is called Who Besides Me, and it's a real anxiety tune, which is to say an electricity tune. It sounds like electricity just shooting through this guy's body. It's electricity just shooting through him. And uh, it's because he has anxiety. And as you'll be able to tell from the song lyrics, he's wondering what other guys this girl has in her life. The eternal question. Guys have been worrying about that since the dawn of time. Men have killed each other over that. And, you know, if you were to ask the average man what he's anxious about, and if he were to be honest, if he were to be honest about the source of the electricity shooting through his body, he might very well tell you he's paranoid about whether a girl is looking at other men, whether a girl has other men in her life, whether it's true or not. Whether he has any reason to suspect that or not, it's a common source of electrical anxiety shooting through your body in the form of this very wonderful, melodic, and active organ playing. And this is what women don't understand. Women do not get this. They have their own electricity. They have their own anxiety, which I won't pretend to know about. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what it feels like to be an anxious woman. I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> I do know. I know exactly what it's like to be an anxious woman. No, I don't. And I can tell you that might be similar to this, might be different. I just don't know. But my point being is that if you're a man and you're 
paranoid about other men and your brain is going to go there. doesn't matter how much of a monk you are. Your brain is going to go there and you can either be honest about it or you can lie your ass off. But everybody can tell if you're lying. The reality is it feels like electricity shooting through your body and it sounds like this really active organ that's just playing a wonderful melody because it is wonderful. That's what you realize with anxiety, as I often talk about on night schools, is do something with it. If you have anxiety, just accept the fact that you're buzzing. You know, when you, it's like when you walk by a power station and you can hear that electrical buzz or every once in a while you'll walk under just a power line and you'll hear it buzzing and it makes you kind of nervous because you're not supposed to hear a buzz coming from a power line. But that can be you. You're buzzing just like that power line or maybe even just like that power station if you have a real buzz going. And you can use that. Use that electricity. Channel that electricity. Accept the fact that you have a motor that's going right now and you're not going to be best served by sitting around. And then do something. And this guy obviously did. Sherwin Linton obviously did something with his electricity because he wrote just an absolutely wonderful song here. And it's got kind of a Del Shannon feeling. His voice doesn't sound like Del Shannon, but just the the feel of the song. There's even like a little kind of a transition where he doesn't do the falsetto, weird, high-pitched thing that Del Shannon does on virtually every song of his. But you can kind of get a feeling that he was going for a Del Shannon sort of feeling here. But it's nonetheless a real electricity hymn. Sherwin Linton, Who Besides Me. Please tell me so If you love him more than me I won't stand in your way A fool I don't want to be But please answer when I say Who besides me is your number one boy I guess that I've got a right to know Yes, who besides me is your number one boy Number one, please tell me so. When I say Who besides me Is your number one boy I guess that I've got a right to know Yes, who besides me Is your number one boy If I'm not number one Please tell me so If I'm not number one Please tell me so I don't understand what's wrong with you. 
Listen, son, I don't understand what's wrong with you. I know you got anxiety over a girl and you're just sitting around shaking. Well, listen to that kid, that kid down the street, Sherwin. He's got, he's got anxiety over a girl, too. And he makes a beautiful song out of it. He makes a beautiful song. You know, you heard it there. You know he makes a beautiful song out of it. That's what you do with your electricity, folks. You follow Sherwin's lead. You ever heard of Sherwin's lead? <laughs> you ever heard of Sherwin's lead? Because <laughs> that was it. You follow Sherwin's lead. Um, but yeah, we're going to continue on with a very well-known artist. Chances are, if you're into this era of music, you know the name Johnny Rivers. Uh, Johnny Rivers is very famous, and he continued to be famous. He's a guy who got started during this era when he was very young. I think he was a you know an older teenager in, in his early 20s, maybe, when he first established himself as a songwriter. I believe he was a studio musician, and he went on to play other styles of music. He kind of, you know, he, he rolled with the waves, and he stayed relevant, I believe, although not relevant to me. Because I'm not even sure what styles he actually played later on. I just know that he... I, I've seen pictures of him where he's got a mustache and his hair has grown out. Which tells you everything you need to know. Uh, it's like I saw... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Dion DiMucci. You know, one of the best doo-wop performers of all time. I saw videos of him in the 70s where he's wearing like a big floppy pimp hat. And you know it's over at that point. Nothing against him. I mean, Dion DiMucci is beyond criticism. You know, he's above any criticism. I'm a, just a massive Dion DiMucci fan. I mean, few people perform one good doo-wop song, let alone just an endless chain of genuinely good hits like Dion and the Belmonts. But still, like when you see a video of a guy who was at his peak in the 50s and 60s and you see a video of him in the 70s with a big floppy pimp hat, you know, I mean, it's either going to be the greatest thing in the world or you're just going to, you got to cast it out to sea. But Johnny Rivers, I, I get the same feeling when I see photos of him with like a necklace and his hair shaggy with a mustache, whatever he was doing then. But I'm glad he found work. You know, I'm glad he stayed relevant because he still, he remained popular as far as I know. I know he had a rivalry with Elvis too. I know they didn't get along. Not that it was really a rivalry. I mean, nobody could be a rival of Elvis. It's like saying, uh, yeah, you know, uh, some uh, mid-grade basketball player was a rival of Michael Jordan. It's like you can't say that. When you're talking about somebody who's on Elvis's level, nobody's really a competitor. But from what I gather, they didn't like each other. But anyway, Johnny Rivers here, well-known artist talented songwriter and i'm going to play a block we're going to do a johnny rivers block here and the first song is going to be that someone should be me and that's going to be followed up with uh, too good to last and to close out this little block i'm going to play such a fool for you so two more active songs and then uh, kind of a slow closer we call this the slow closer you heard of Sherwin's lead? Well, this is a slow closer. So a little Johnny Rivers block for you. Just genuinely enjoyable music. Mm -hmm. 
my window I can plainly see I can see you walking by with someone else That someone should be me I know that someone should be me He don't love you The way that I do So why don't you leave him alone And come to a love that's true and the trees and the stones and the stars everything is Jesus <laughs> how do we get so small oh my god how do we get so small She kissed me and held me tight The way she was my love Each and every Well, I guess it all happened Just a little too fast mm, It was too good to last mm, Too good to last Oh, too good to last 
of yesterday Memories of her love just stand in my way Ah, now that it's over and we're far apart All that she left me is a broken heart And I'm trying so hard to forget the past It was too good to last Too good to last Oh, too good to last I do my best to forget dreams of yesterday But memories of her love just stand in my way mm, Now it's all over and we're far apart Yeah, now that she left me Does Christianity mean being good and nice and joining a vague world religion? Or is Christianity something unique and with a clear set of rules? The only rule in Christianity, my dear, is freedom. The only rule is one. And all our screwed up beliefs arise because we're absent from that one and therefore we're separate and we function from a world of duality of you and me and right and wrong and good and bad and it's all within our own screwed up ideas because we're absent from the presence of God, we're absent from Jesus. Is this a time for Christians to evolve or stick to their guns? It's certainly a time for you to you to evolve, my dear. Just get a bit bigger. Get off your high horse and look up at the sky and let a bit of freedom come into your thinking and then you'll see you'll see it in everybody else as well. I follow you every morning on your way to school. All my friends tell me that I'm just a fool. Oh, I'm, I'm such a fool, such a fool for you. I long for you every day to hold you in my arms. I cry for you each lonely night for your many charms. Oh, I'm, I'm such a fool, such a fool for you. You've gone even notice me when I smile at you. Don't even realize that this heart is true. Yes, I'm, I'm such a fool. Such a fool are you Darling, I've loved you Ever since the first time I saw you And nothing, no nothing Can change the way I feel about you Don't even notice me When I smile at you Don't even realize That this heart is true Oh, I'm, I'm such a fool Such 
such a fool are you But maybe someday things will change and I won't be so blue But till the day you say you're mine I keep on loving you And I'll always be a fool Such a fool are you Yeah, normally I like to announce this kind of thing, but that last one, that last Johnny Rivers song there was a, a bona fide creep hymn. Normally I make an effort to announce that kind of thing before I play it. I like to give it a little entrance. I like to give it a little introduction because that's a, a subcategory that I've created, a subcategory of songs that get played on every night's of school night, the creep hymn. And there happen to be a lot of them. There's a lot of some of my favorite songs are creep hymns, and I like to give them a little emphasis. And there was no getting away from it, even though I didn't announce it. There's no getting away from a lyric like "I follow you every morning on your way to school." It just established itself right out in the open. Some creep hymns are subtle. There are creep hymns that are a little more subtle, where you're listening and you start to realize. Oh, that lyric kind of comes across a certain way. Oh, the context of this song, interesting. It's a subtle creep hymn. Because there are sub-subcategories of creep hymns as well. While creep hymn transcends genre, it's nonetheless a subcategory of multiple genres, primarily from the 1950s and 60s. But there are sub-subcategories within creep hymns, and there's the subtle creep hymn. And th this one was fairly subtle. I don't feel like this was the most overt I don't feel like it was the most shameless creep hymn. But I, a lyric like that's not very subtle. I follow you every morning on your way to school. You know, not terribly subtle. And he's aware of it. No doubt she's aware of it, too. I like to imagine he went up to her at the high school reunion. And he was like, hey, I'm Johnny. Remember me? I'm Johnny Rivers. Uh, I used to follow you every morning on the way to school. And I, I just think, it, because this is a reunion, I think I'm going to follow you around tonight, too. Is that all right? I'm going to follow you around the reunion. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm not done with Johnny here. I don't think we're done with Johnny. There was a Johnny Rivers block there, three songs of Johnny Rivers, and I think we're going to play another Johnny Rivers. Because, you know, I want more of that genuinely good music. You got, you got any more of that genuinely good music you were playing? I do. I have another song, and this one was actually played on a previous Every Night's a School Night. I don't remember how long ago. I don't remember how long ago I played this Johnny Rivers song, but it was played on a previous Every Night's a School Night. I believe it was It was probably played early on. It was probably played many years ago. But it's your first and last love, and I love it because it's first and last. It's what every guy wants. It's what every guy wants. I want to be your first, and I want to be your last. And I'm going to follow you every morning on your way to school, just to make sure of that. Just to make sure. Your first and last love. This is a dreamy ballad from Johnny Rivers to close out the Johnny Rivers block. If you're a longtime fan, well, this is the second time you've heard this song.
And you know how I feel about threes, so maybe someday I'll play it again just to, to get the full trifecta. But for now, second time playing it, but your first and last love. Could this be the first time you've ever been in love? And do you think your heart could really know the meaning of Oh, if it is, could it always be your first and last love? First and last, first and last love. Could I be the first one to ever hold your hand? To see you just the way you are And really understand Oh, if I am, could I always be Your first and last love First and last love Will it always be just you and me? Will I be the only one? Will there come a day you will say That it was all in fun? Someday when we're older Could I take you for my wife Or will there be another love To change our way of life Please tell me that I'll always be Your first and last love First and last love Will it always be just you and me Will I be the only one Will there come a day when he will say that it was all in fun? Oh, someday when we're older, could I take you for my wife? Or will there be another love to change our way of life? Please tell me that I'll always be your first and last. beautiful one there from our friend Johnny to close out the Johnny Rivers block with that profound lyric if it is could it always be great lyric if it is could it always be and while we are done hearing from Johnny we're not done hearing about Johnny gonna play a song by a girl group here the Charmettes which is just a perfect name for a girl group the Charmettes and I believe they're the same Charmettes who were a backing group for other artists. You'll see so-and-so in the Charmettes. They were a backing group. I assume they're the same ones, although I've assumed that before and been wrong. Because you do see some names get used by multiple groups. But I think these are the Charmettes. And they're going to play a song here called Johnny Johnny. Johnny comma Johnny. Johnny comma Johnny. Johnny Johnny, and they don't specify which Johnny, so it very well could be some reciprocation for all of that outpouring of love we just heard during the Johnny Rivers block. This could be, uh, you know, the girls throwing a little something back at him after everything he threw their way. I don't know. They don't specify. Could be Johnny Rivers. Could be any Johnny. 
Could be Johnny Comma Johnny. Maybe that's his name, Johnny Comma Johnny. But it's a, a great tune here. Charmettes with Johnny Johnny. I mean, it may very well be that 10 years from now, people will pay $10,000 in cash to be castrated just in order to be affected by something. is that? I mean, is it just because people are, are lazy today or they're bored? You can be fun sitting home all alone I can be fun sitting home all alone Why can't we get together one more time Well, you're with by the phone I'm sitting by the phone, nursing a broken heart. Why don't we get together one more time? Well, somebody said I cheated on you. I played around with someone new. If you'd have waited a little while, you'd have found out it was all right now. You can be found sitting home all alone. I can. 
Catchy one from Buddy Troy, following up the Charmettes there. Buddy Troy with One More Time, and catchy enough that he could even do a a nice little whistle there in the end. You know, if you can whistle the tune, it's a memorable one, I would hope. You know, there's, there's a lot of music that I don't think would deserve a whistle. I think there's music that would deserve a whistle, but even then a whistle wouldn't work. But that was a song where a whistle does work. I feel like I'm getting into some kind of tongue twister territory here. Some tongue, it's a tongue twister territory. Would a whistle work if a whistle didn't work and a whistle work work? Uh, however that tongue twister would go. But Buddy Troy, I like to imagine his name isn't Buddy. His name's Troy, but it's like saying, hey, my buddy Troy. Hey, have you met my buddy Troy? We call him Buddy Troy because he's our buddy. His nickname isn't Buddy. It's like a title. This is Buddy Troy. This is Buddy Troy. That's a relatable song, that last one, one more time. Very relatable. He's obviously talking about a girl he broke up with and how they're both just sitting around their houses, sitting by the phone, sitting at home, brokenhearted. And you know, in that situation, it's funny because people who have broken up, like especially when there's that mutual sadness, which is generally the case, You know, usually there's a a mutual sadness. And, you know, that situation is real where both people are just sitting at home being sad and missing each other usually. Even if there was a valid reason for a breakup, people are often sitting around feeling sad and missing each other. And the cure for that, what they kind of want to do is contact each other. But yet a, a spell has been cast or maybe more appropriately, a spell has been broken. Where it's like, no, we we cast the breakup spell, which broke the love spell. But it was really broken a long time ago anyway. Uh, anyway, anyway, everyone knows that situation. I mean, in the, in the modern, the modern version of that song is like, you're sitting there waiting for a text. I was going to sing it in melody, and then I realized that <laughs> I didn't, I, I can't, uh, I don't know how to rhyme it. I don't know how to sing it. I don't know how to rhyme it. But the modern version of that song is like, you break up with somebody, and even though you're broken up, even if you did the breaking up, even if you initiated it, it was your decision, you'll sit there kind of hoping they send you a message. You're kind of hoping they send you a text. Anything. Send me anything, baby. One more time. Text me one more time. I was thinking maybe you'd text me one more time. 
Slinky, hey, baby. Uh, oh, sorry, I can't call you baby anymore. No more. Uh, I was thinking maybe it'd be nice if, uh, since we're both just sitting home alone, if uh, maybe you could text me one last time. I just, I just want to hear my phone jingle. And to know it's you texting me one last time. You know, maybe you could send me another one, too. Because if you text me once, you got to text me twice. And you know how I like threes, baby. You know how I like the number three, baby. (laughs) So maybe you could text me three times. Uh, We're going to play a song by a deep-voiced man here, Jimmy Peterson. This is a great example of what I was talking about earlier, where you don't know how old this guy is. This guy could be an 18-year-old, and he sounds like a deep-throated man. Velvety thunder coming out of his voice, but coming out of his throat. But you don't know, because you had 19-year-olds who sound like 45-year-olds at this time. You know, so he could, or he could be, but then you also had 45-year-olds singing songs pretending they were teenagers, because that's what was popular too, so you don't know. And Jimmy Peterson is such a generic name, I wouldn't even know how to look him up. I would. I could probably figure it out. But it is a common name. So let's just go with whatever comes to mind. If you imagine a a 70-year-old man singing this song, go with that. If you imagine a 12-year-old singing this, go with that. However you feel. Whatever age you think this man, Jimmy Peterson, is, is what I want you to imagine. And the song is called Inside of Me. And it's a lower register, you know, like, I, like I'm talking about. It, it, it's a lower register voice, which is funny because that was one of my initial draws with this music way back when. When I got into 50s and 60s era music, I was always drawn by the people who had a deep voice. And what's funny about that is I've gone the opposite direction over the years. I feel like I'm way more impressed by some unhinged, high-pitched voice. And that's just the case for my whole life, I feel like, where... You know, it used to be the same with uh, all kinds of music. You know, you used to like a lot of low-end, if you you listen to heavy metal or any kind of heavy music, experimental music for that matter, I used to be much more drawn to the bassy sounds. But over the years, I've gravitated toward interesting high-end. Like on guitar, I, I couldn't care less about some something going on at the top of the guitar neck. I like to hear what someone's doing down at the bottom. And of course, I like low register stuff. Of course, I still like that. But my point being, there's just something extra maniacal, something that speaks to me about high-pitched melodies, high-pitched singing. But it has to be done right. It has to be interesting. And this is not that. This is proof that I still like lower register voices, It's just interesting to me how that was an initial draw. That used to impress me. I used to be like, wow, this guy's got, this guy just sounds like a a man. And now I'm into like unhinged teenage screeching. But anyway, enough about unhinged teenage screeching. Because we got Jimmy Peterson with Inside of Me. And save your jokes. I know what you're all thinking. Inside of me. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of puns. You're thinking of innuendos. All these things that the devil puts in your mind that that brings out that ghoul. It brings out the hissing ghoul in you. You think you're funny, huh? You think you're funny, huh? You hissing ghoul? You think you can make fun of this music, huh? You can. 
But uh, just take it seriously while you listen to this. I recommend you take it seriously. Jimmy, take it seriously, Peterson, with Inside of Me. delivery there because you know obviously that was a low register voice but it wasn't super bassy it wasn't like a voice where it's like a boom boom you know it wasn't it wasn't that sort of thing like a bass vocal it was a, more of a mid-range voice but with a lower delivery to it which i thought was especially good and you know it's funny too i didn't even realize this as i started getting into this talk about lower register voices but it plays perfectly into what i was saying earlier about things seeming neutered lately and i have to be careful about generalizing you know i talked on a night school recently about trying not to generalize how i shouldn't say everyone when i mean someone you know one or two people say something and then i turn around and say everyone's doing this everyone's saying this meanwhile it's only some people and earlier in this episode, I felt like that's what I was doing about everyone's neutered. Everyone's, everyone's neutered. Everyone's neutered, right? You ever notice how everybody these days is neutered? Everybody's neutered. 
I feel like I'm doing that about people being neutered. You shouldn't, if you're going to generalize, you shouldn't do it about people being neutered. Even if it feels that way. But it is kind of funny. I'm closing this episode out with some lower end vocals. And that was just a pure coincidence. And here I am, I'm talking about how I love these high-pitched vocals. I love eunuchs. <laughs> you know, nothing like a good eunuch. Meanwhile, I'm also complaining about people being neutered. Where's the logic in that? You can't love the sound of eunuchs screeching and also complain about the fact that everything seems neutered. Maybe I like some things to be neutered. Maybe I like some things to be high-pitched, but not everything. And what do you do about that anyway? What do you do about when, when life seems neutered, what do you do about that? I would say stick to your guns. If you have literal physical guns, if you have firearms, I would say stick to those. But if you're like me and you don't have firearms... You don't have guns. You don't have guns to stick to, actual physical guns. You know, you got to stick to your metaphorical guns. And what are those? What are your metaphorical guns? They're who you are. You know, it's it's sticking to who you are. It all, all this ends up coming back to just be yourself. How do you avoid being neutered? You just got to be yourself. You just got to be yourself. That's all you got to do to avoid getting your balls cut off does seem that way though doesn't it? it does seem like it's that simple you just got to make sure you know who you are and i mean and if you're the kind of person if you voluntarily got neutered good for you if you want to have your balls cut off good for you i'm not here to judge anybody i know some people have decided that they don't need their balls they don't want their balls they were born in the wrong body they're they were born in a in a body with balls and they don't want balls. You know, I understand that. And hey, go for it. You know, maybe I'll say this though. If you got a pair of scissors in your hand, if you're one of these people who voluntarily gets neutered and you happen to have a pair of scissors in your hands and I'm changing my shorts in the locker room and you happen to be in there, I might get the hell out. I might get the heck out. You know, I very well might. I might not trust you with a pair of scissors in your hands and I'm while I'm changing my, my shorts in the locker room. But other than that, other than that, do what you want. Be who you want. I've got no problem with that. Uh, but I do have my own preferences. I do have things that I like and don't like in this world. And I don't like the feeling of things being... You know, it just feels like let's get let's get away from the neutering. Let's get away from all that, even though this is now a neutering podcast where we will be discussing the surgical techniques. We will be discussing all of the nuances in in modern medicine when it comes to neutering. This is now a neutering podcast. But no, really, though, it's one of those things where. You know, it's 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 getting away from the neutering talk, you know, because I feel like I've said the word neutering more times in this episode than I've actually said it out loud in my entire life, which tells you something's wrong. But, you know, something feels like it's been chopped down at the root, but the root's not gone. 
you know, because you can't get rid of roots. I mean, th- let's talk about censorship again for a second. You know, this I don't feel like whoever's listening to this is the ideal audience. You know, I don't need to tell anybody who's listening to this show, especially in the closing minutes of it, that censorship is bad. But censorship chops something down. It tries to eliminate something, but it doesn't pull the root out because you can't pull the root out. And so you allow that thing to grow back. When you censor something, it is going to grow back whether you like it or not. And it's going to grow back in such a way that you don't even recognize it anymore. Because when you censor something, you don't get rid of the idea. The idea still exists because ideas come from somewhere. They come from a natural place. They are responses. They are reactions in most cases, especially the ideas that people want to censor. The, people that, the ideas that people want to censor appeal to people because they come from a natural place. They come from within. And when you censor those, you don't eliminate the idea. You don't eliminate the source of the idea. What you do is you give that idea a chance to be reinvented without the wisdom of discussion. Oh, great. Now somebody can't be A, B, or C. Because society doesn't allow that, and those people no longer have a voice. Great. We've eliminated them. We've eliminated that entire thought. No, you've allowed that thought to transform. You've allowed it to reinvent itself. You've allowed that idea to reinvent itself without the wisdom of discussion. And that makes it more potent. Because when somebody is able to reinvent an idea that has been censored, it is going to grow back differently and it is going to be stronger. It is going to be more organic. And because it hasn't been discussed, because it hasn't been allowed to discuss it, that idea now has much more vitality. Because the people who that idea is relevant to, in the way that it's been reinvented, they aren't criticizing it. They aren't discussing it in the way that it should be discussed from multiple perspectives. And that is what adds to its potency. You know, the obvious example is Nazism. And I hate to use it as an example, but it seems to be the one that everybody uses as this sort of extreme. It's the extreme of self-expression. Somebody who is a Nazi and who is sharing their views. And wouldn't you rather have it be obvious? You know, even though people have these conspiracy theories that everybody's a secret Nazi and this or that, wouldn't you rather have those people waving swastika flags so you can say, I know exactly who those people are and what they believe. But when you say, nope, there's no place for you to ever express your views. The ideas don't disappear. The roots aren't gone. You can't pull the roots out. You might think you're pulling the roots out. And what is that? What is what is the real life equivalent of not just censoring people, but then p- trying to pull the roots out of the ground? That's killing people. And that's the next step after censorship, because censorship is a fundamentally misanthropic, hateful and destructive act. It is a fundamentally misanthropic act to encourage 
and enforce censorship of any kind. And yes, there will inevitably be censorship. There will inevitably be ideas and forms of self-expression that are not accepted, especially on a, in a situational setting. You know, and I mean, and, and and of course there are situations where, I mean, the obvious example is like not yelling fire in a crowded theater. There's a reason why that's discouraged, you know, and, and it, but it warrants discussion. Even that warrants discussion. As silly as that is, as silly and trite as that example is, you know, like you don't go to somebody's wedding. You don't get invited to somebody's wedding and stand up and say, the bride looks like shit. Hey, everybody, the bride looks fucking ugly. You don't go to a wedding and say that. I mean, that's yelling fire at a crowded theater. And you'll luck, you're lucky if you'll live through that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, there are certain situations where you can't say certain things. And I'm, am I going to say that's censorship? Well, it, it is. But, you know, inevitably, you're not going to be allowed to say certain things in certain situations without repercussions. But when it comes to being able to express yourself in your own little corner of the world or on these public platforms where people aren't forced to see what you have to say, that's a different story to me. You know, and when you censor people, when you stop them from being able to express themselves at all, that is coming from a place where you view people as dumb because you think they are dumb enough to believe anything. And therefore, you have to guide them. You have to limit what they can be exposed to. What are you so afraid of? You're afraid of these ideas being attractive. You think that these ideas might attract dumb people. Well, if these ideas are so attractive to a certain type of person, whatever you think of those people, where does that idea come from? Again, it comes back to the fact that these are ideas that come from within, and they're recurring. We might have extreme examples we can point to. You can point to, you know, National Socialism. You can point to Soviet Communism. These examples where ideas were used to destroy human beings... But these ideas are recurring. Those ideas didn't come from nowhere. They didn't exist in a vacuum in the 1930s, 1940s, World War II era. They didn't come through they didn't come into existence from some kind of vacuum. They came there are recurring ideas as well, and they might manifest differently each time they come around. But when you try to eliminate people's ability to express them, no matter how much you disagree with them, you allow those ideas to grow back in different ways, and even you might be tricked by them. And in fact, if you're a person who's encouraging censorship, and you're demonizing people, especially people who aren't saying those things, because along with censorship, you know, censorship has a long marriage to painting, you know, there's, there's a long relationship between censorship and painting with a broad brush. Where it's not just that you're trying to censor this one extreme example, let's say neo-Nazis. It's that you then start painting anybody you disagree with with that brush. And we see that all the time now. 
I'm not going to generalize and say everybody's doing it, but we see it all the time where people paint with this very broad brush and anybody they find disagreeable gets referred to in this extreme polarizing way. And that's again an example of what I mean where this is fundamentally misanthropic behavior. And it starts with censorship, which is cutting things to the root. You cut it down to the root level, but the roots are still there. And then when you find that you didn't get rid of the roots when you began censoring. And when I think of the word censoring, I think of a blade cutting something. I don't think of something getting covered. You know, you think of censorship like something is getting covered blacked out. I don't think of it that way. I don't think of it getting covered. I think of it getting cut because that's what you're doing. Think of something getting cut, someone's tongue getting cut out, a plant or a tree getting cut. But, uh, you know, it's you think that you're getting rid of it by cutting it, and then you realize there's still a root. And most ideas, if there's still a root, there's something that can grow from that. And then when you realize that, when you realize that something can still grow, then you decide to try to pull the root out. And the only way to get rid of the root in your mind is to kill people in an organized way, which is what we saw, what we see. I mean, it's going on around the world still. So that's where you go with it. I'm not even going to call it a slippery slope because I think that's just the path it takes. I don't even think it's a slippery slope scenario. I think it's just an inevitability when you pursue that idea far enough. And uh, it is one of the hills that I feel strongly enough to die on. I feel so strong about free speech. And I would say in many ways I'm a a free speech absolutist. Which, again, doesn't mean that I think everybody should be able to say what they want in every single situation. People shouldn't be able to go to your wedding and tell the bride she's fat. No matter how fat she is. No, but really, I don't think people should be able to do that. I think there are situations where you don't want people to, you know, be antisocial. I think we should try to discourage antisocial behavior. In the same way that you don't want people to commit actual crimes against people, there is certain behavior that is simply antisocial and you don't allow it. But that's, again, separate from censorship, but there is nuance and it is worth discussing. But as I see more and more censorship, as I see more and more, it's not just that these companies censor, it's it's not just that we see social media companies and the media itself censoring and encouraging censorship, what gets me, in the same way that I'm disturbed by how people have began surveilling each other, and the inmates have become the prison guards, in the same way that that disturbs me, watching that phenomenon play out, where people are the, are the ones you have to worry about when it comes to surveillance. People filming you when you're having a bad day. Oh, you forgot your mask or something, you know, and someone films you video videos you and puts it on the internet something like that some you know something that somebody has no business doing and it's a hateful act you know it's the same way i feel about that this surveillance friendly population that we have 
surveilling each other. That's how I feel about this censorship thing. You know, it, it, I feel like it all comes from the same place, and I don't think it's a coincidence that these things go hand in hand. And I will fight it. In no way am I going along with that program. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do. And it doesn't mean I'm going to try... It doesn't mean I'm looking to say things to purposely piss people off. You know, I grew out of that, I mean, years ago. I might still do it. You know, my sense of humor on here might not be for everybody. Some things I say on this show very well might offend people. I know it has in the past. I've been told by people. Certain things bothered them, although I'm always surprised by what it is that bothered someone. It's not what I expected necessarily. But, you know, while there's always a chance I could say something that bothers somebody, you know, I grew out of the phase of deliberately trying to antagonize people a long time ago. So I have no interest in doing that myself. But something that I absolutely stand for is all range of ideas having a platform. And I think that's far healthier. No matter how unhealthy a given idea is, I think it's far healthier to see it expressed and to be able to engage with it and to know what people are thinking. Because when you try to cut that down, when you hack away at that, and then it grows out in some other direction, in some other way, you don't even recognize it as the same plant, well, everybody's going to suffer then. If it is as bad and poisonous as you think it is, if it manages to evolve in some different way, that's far worse for everybody. So don't, get, don't let yourself get neutered. You know, if you see somebody coming at you with a machete, you know exactly what they're doing. If you see somebody playing around with a pair of scissors in the locker room of the gym... They got no business doing that, and you know they're going right for your balls. (laughs) So, you know, but don't give them the gym. Don't, I mean, don't give them the locker room. Don't, don't give them the playing field. Don't abandon the playing field because that's an easy uh, mistake to make, too. Is when you abandon the playing field, you lose the game. And somebody I, I like listening to made that exact point recently, that exact analogy, the playing field, and I like that. You know, don't abandon the playing field. Don't leave it behind. You know, and, and chances are, if you see somebody dragging a machete around, they're not up to... They're not a humanitarian. They're looking to chop away at something, and it might just be uh, something of yours. But anyway, you know, that last song, I don't, I don't I wasn't expecting to go off on a, a censorship rant, but I don't always expect I don't expect anything out of myself, you know. I just who knows. But I I, I just I keep coming back to censorship cuz again, I guess just to close that point out, what I was going to say a second ago was just that in the same way that people have not slowly even, but quickly just adapted and accepted this idea of taping each other and taking photos of each other in public and this non-consensual documentation of each other, not just for fun, not just for entertainment, but to shame each other and attack each other. In the same way that people have 
not just done that to each other, but the way that the public has readily accepted it without protest. The fact that people don't just post videos. Oh, look, look at this ugly guy in Walmart. Oh, a guy came into Walmart with toilet paper sticking out of his pants. So I took a picture of him and I shared it on uh, on nerdy old Reddit so that everybody can see it. So I can show so I can shame this guy and humiliate him to millions of people. Because guess what? People who shop at Walmart, they're not shopping local. They're trash. And you know how we uh, we educated liberals feel about trash. Let's humiliate this guy. That's what's going on. So, you know, be aware of that. But not just the fact that people are doing that to each other, but the fact that millions of people just readily accept it. They click on the image and they laugh and they say, look at that idiot at Walmart. Look at that poor person and how dumb he is. I'm so glad that I'm right. I bet he voted for... And I voted for... I'm so glad. I'm, it's so great that I voted for eh, and he voted for Bleh. you know, cause uh, cause I'm better than he. You know, that's that's where people are at. Not everybody, but that's where many people are at. And these people click on these images of somebody who they see as an other, and they don't even think about the fact that they're not just. It's not just the person uploading the video or the or the image. They're looking at it. And we all do it. We all see these things. We all we all encounter things that we should not look at or not encourage. But the same is true for the censorship thing where it's not just the fact that some people are aggressively trying to censor other people. What gets me is the number of people that I know who encourage it. Whether it's through like this bogus phrase hate speech or some other justification the number of people i know who aren't just ignoring censorship because that's one it's one thing to ignore it but the people who acknowledge it and say that it's necessary for blah 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 reason that's what bothers me is the justification it's not just the people acting and trying to censor people it's the people who are an audience to this and justify it. So one way that you can avoid being neutered is to not go along with this. And again, if you're listening to this show, everything I've said just now is a water is wet statement. It's obvious. But I'm just letting you know that this is the big one for me. Because without that, without free speech, everything else is down the drain. Everything becomes ugly really quickly without free speech. So that to me is a foundation, especially as an artist, not to invoke the A word, but as an artist especially, you see artists being censored. People start telling you what kind of subject matter you can pursue, how you can express yourself. And, you know, I don't, it's not just art, it's everything for me. Like I said, I'm a free speech absolutist. But the fact that even art is being censored, which it always is. Somebody's always trying to censor art. Somebody's always trying to censor creativity. But it's all, it's all part of it for me. But anyway, you know, cheers, cheers to not letting yourself get neutered by some psychopath with a machete coming into the locker room when you're changing. 
Because that's when they like to get you. That's when they know you got your shorts off and your dicky out. That's when they know. That's when these guys with the machetes know you got your shorts off. That's when they come for you. Because these aren't honorable people. These are people who come after you when you're bent over taking your shorts off. That's when they get you. That's when you feel the cold steel of the machete up against your you-know-what. And in honor of not getting your you-know-what cut off, I'm going to close this out with an unnaturally low voice. My friend Kyle Haynes, who I play on this show occasionally, you know, he does all kinds of music, and as long as I've known him, it ranges from folk to just this kind of organic country. He's always doing little experiments. He's been recording a lot lately and sending me things, and... Uh, during the start of quarantine, coronavirus quarantine, he sent me a homemade box set of a bunch of recordings that I had never heard from him uh, during the period when we weren't in contact. And it was really wonderful. It was a, a, just a great little addition to this whole year and experience to be able to drive around listening to all this music from my old buddy that I hadn't heard before. Hear his To hear his experiments, to hear his... Uh, you know, some his just wonderful things. Just it's all interesting to me to hear what he does because he's not a retard. You know, uh, he's he's not a like I talk about him like he's he's not an outsider artist. Like he he's he grew up like me. You know, he has a similar similar taste in certain things. You know, different taste in other things. But he's 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 not like some savant who like doesn't have any external influences you know what i mean where it's it's not like he's an outsider artist who's mentally impaired and it's like oh look at this uh, he grew up in a in a cave and he didn't experience the outside world you know he's not like that uh you know he's somebody who he's a, you know he's got a family smart guy um but he managed, I guess why I, why I just gave that disclaimer is because he's managed to somehow be untouched. And even my favorite people, my favorite artists have been touched. <laughs> Not by the cold steel of the machete, but even my favorite artists and people managed to have somehow gotten bitten or tainted, including me. I mean, I'm, I'm really tainted. Um, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of bites on my my legs and my arms i've gotten bitten and corrupted and tainted and my favorite people you know have dealt with this and and dealt with it well because i'm a fan of them but somehow my friend kyle has managed to not become tainted by all this stuff like i think it helps that he never got entangled in underground music but he also didn't get entangled in some kind of local thing either he's always just made music primarily for himself and people he knows and he experiments, he plays around, he has an incredible songwriting ability, incredible just ability, you know, he's an incredible guitarist, he writes just very catchy, memorable music, and you know, I've praised him before, this isn't my first time praising this guy, um, and uh, this song I'm going to play is, it's from a project, I think it was Varmintown, it was, it was you know, he, he has various names for his stuff, and uh, this song is called Driver, A Driver in a Lonely Room. And he pitch shifted his vocals down, which he's, I've never heard him do before. And it's kind of a countryish tune. 
it kind of reminds me of Ed Bruce in a way because of the low vocals. While Ed Bruce had naturally very low vocals, I think with the pitch shifter on the vocals, it kind of reminds me of that. Although it's it's obviously pitch shifted, which doesn't always work. You know, sometimes I'll hear people do a, a, a pitch shifted voice and I think, eh, I can't get into this. It's distracting. It's too unnatural. But it manages to work really well here. And I feel like it's the perfect closer to all this talk about neutering. This is what you sound like, kids, when you don't get neutered. This is what you sound like, kids, when you just stick to your guns. When you stick to your guns. And you do things for yourself. But not in a self-absorbed way. Not in a narcissistic way. But when you create things that you genuinely love. That's what it, this is what, what that will sound like. Um, and I, I've just got to say, you know, stay away from the cold steel of that machete and keep an eye out for the, the hand holding it.
on sleep? Yeah. Sleep in general? Sleep? Yeah. Well, I'm not really much of a sleep kind of person. I think sleep's a pretty much of a waste of time. I mean, eating and sleeping don't really make an awful lot of sense to me. Sleep, nah, I'm not really much into sleep. I don't dream an awful lot. Uh, my dreams are dreams of the day. You know, I, I dream as a conscious person. So sleep, uh, sleep like eating to me is a necessity that I wish didn't have to be around. So, you know, four or five hours of it is enough. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free Take my hand And walk this land with me And walk this lovely land with me Though I am just a man When you are by my side with the help of God, I know I can be strong. So take my hand and walk. This land with me and walk this golden land with me. Though I am just a man when you are by my side, with the help of God. I know I can be strong To make this land our home 